2: minimum of 4 lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all qualified customers contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due $35 per line connection charge applies ctmobile.com
0: a good sunday morning to you 1007 sunday august 13th we are just in the thick of the NFL preseason and Major League Baseball's uh, run here is we're about 100 and change. I think we've got about 40 games left, Pete, to the regular season here for your Minnesota Twins, who will undoubtedly probably be the uh, NL, the AL Central champions. Mm-hmm. Um, but i got to be honest, watching <laughs> and looking through this week, I, I all I could do was think about how frustrating this team is that, that it, it seems apparent to me that yes this team is going to win the central yes this team is then going to make the playoffs and yes this team is then going to get run out of the first round <laughs> and it made me wonder if this is the most frustrating team that the twins have had and and i'm sure that our listeners out there have have been watching this team closely uh for for decades but is this the most frustrating team in recent memory and and i looked at you know, you're looking at what this team has done. They're four and a half games up on the Guardians right now in the Central. It's dominant. And and <laughs> they are they are beating good teams and losing to bad teams, right? I mean, they scored eight runs last night. That was the same amount they scored in the entire four-game series against the Tigers. <laughs> they lose three to Kansas City. They take 2 of 3 from St. Louis. They sweep the Diamondbacks. Then they lose 3 of 4 to Detroit. Then they lose 13 to 2 to Philly and then they beat them 8 to 1 the following <laughs> night. This is this is almost bordering on cruel torture. I feel like for <laughs> Twins fans. And and I listen, I I want this team to do well. I want the local teams to do well always because Guess what? If they do well, you listen, and it's all wonderful. And the more you listen, the better we do, right? But this is just maddening to me. Joey Gallo finally gets out of this slump that he's been in for who knows how long, and and he's just hit some monster home runs last night. Mm -hmm. But I'm trying to think of another team in recent memory in the past, and and trust me, there have been many frustrating teams. I'm trying to think of a team in recent memory, Pete, twins-wise that is more – Head scratching than the one that currently is taking the field in 2023.
3: Well, and I think it's the problem of being a 500 ball club, right? I mean, the the problem is we get sucked in by those wins, and you you listed them off, and 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 then we get pulled down again by those losses. And you mentioned Detroit. I mean, the fact that we we only scored five runs in the other three games that we lost to Detroit is pretty pathetic. Yeah. Uh when you're a team like we are though, it, it we almost should expect this. And I know it's disappointing, I know it's frustrating, but the entire year, Dave, you and I've been talking about the fact that mm-hmm. basically they're a six and four team out of every ten. That 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 is yes. who the twins are. And it's and it's almost never changed from that. <laughs> right. When you when you take it in chunks of ten games, okay, we'll go five and five, but uh, we'll go six and four here and there, but we we don't ever seem to get on that streak, right? That streak that most teams at least find, uh, especially a team that's leading in their division or whatever. You're you're looking for that streak. We just don't get it. We'll, we'll win right. three or four in a row. We were six and one going into Detroit, and then then Detroit decided to wake up and they beat us six zip nine five three nine, <laughs> three yeah. nothing. And and you know you look at how many strikeouts we had against them, or or how many hits that we had, and it's just uh, the other frustrating thing, and I brought this up time and time again, but again, we lead the major league in strikeouts with over 1,200. So yeah. that alone just tells you we're swinging for the fences, and when we hit it, it's great, but we only hit it about uh, half the time. <laughs> and because of that, uh, we're struggling, and I think this is going to be one of those teams that unless something just unbelievable happens – I don't know how we get out of the first round. We'll, 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 we'll have a playoff game. We'll get but, there, yep. But, but but how far do we even possibly estimate we're going to go? And I, I suppose it depends on exactly who we end up having to go against as far as the lineups themselves. But yeah, it's a 500 team. It's who we've been all year. And occasionally somebody wakes up, whether it's Correa or Gallo or whoever. But uh, from the batting standpoint, it's just been that – all or none sort of a feeling the entire year.
0: And I'll say this about about Levine and Falvey, Derek Falvey and Thad Levine, and I know people are going to disagree with this, and that, that's okay. This is why, this, the way that this season is going right now and the way that things are happening, this is exactly why I think the two of them were genius in not mortgaging the future on a couple of rentals for this year. And I know people were mad. We went through the trade deadline. We didn't get anybody. We didn't do this. We didn't do that. But this team this year is not, and I repeat, not one to two players away from being a serious contender. And so while people are screaming that Levine and Falvey's jobs are in jeopardy, I'll look at the other side of this. I think they made a brilliant move by not mortgaging the future on getting one or two players at the deadline. And then you look at what's going to happen next year the guys who have to save this team are in the locker room mm-hmm. guys like Max Kepler who hasn't had a great year guys like Byron Buxton who cannot seem to stay on the field uh-uh. guys like Carlos Correa who's who's done well guys like Joey Gallo who needs to do better than you know four home runs one night and then 700 strikeouts following that I'm, <laughs> I'm you know being facetious but uh, once again, I think this was a very smart way to play the season. Now, in in this win first era, you got to win. So you know the question is at the end of the season when they do make the playoffs and then whatever happens, <laughs> do you? I will say this: I think Falvey and Levine and and Rocco are all together. If you're going to have one, you're going to have them all. If you're not going to have one, you're going to lose them all. But clearly, they're thinking, okay, not this year, maybe next year or the year after. I, I know fans are upset. I know they're like, yep, we want to change everything. Let's burn the house down and start again. But you <laughs> got to look at some of the contracts, too, that they have, right? Byron Buxton is the fifth highest paid – I think he's the fifth highest paid center fielder in Major League Baseball. Production-wise, that ain't working, right? I, so, so you have to think, again, not one to two players away, probably not a manager and a, and a, and a general manager away either, so I, I, unfortunately, that, that recipe <laughs> comes out to a couple more years of winning the Central or doing well in the Central and then not doing so great in the playoffs.
3: Well, and the frustration uh, that you're talking about also just goes even to the individual players. Like, like you just mentioned, like a Byron Buxton. Uh, mm-hmm. He gets paid well. He's a great player. But the problem yeah. is you've got to be on the field. And you know, when it's it,
1: healthy.
3: Yeah, yeah, the the problem is health, and 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 I'd even say the same. We both love Royce Lewis. I think everybody sees all the potential and all the greatness in him. He's played 26 games this year.
1: Yeah. You
3: you you have to be on the field, and that's really where the problem is. And that's to your point: are we a player or two away? Should we have done that? Should we have leveraged everything? Uh, I'm with you. I don't think so because. The problem is, we've got some great players. We've just got to figure out how. How do we get them to stay more healthy? Is there is there something the Twins are doing different than other teams right now that's causing this? And and you know, I I know I've seen some of the injuries specifically for Buxton, where you know he kind of kind of puts himself in harm's way, and it's 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 part of the problem that we're we're dealing with though because. You know, it's, it's again, it's, we, we don't have the, the superstars on the field long enough to see exactly what we've got and how good we could be. And until that changes, um, it's, not, it's not a one or two player away from us being great. Uh, th- yeah. There is plenty more because of the fact that these guys can't stay out on the field.
0: By the way, weren't you and I 100% right about Royce Lewis when they, when they brought him back around the All-Star break? And we're yeah. like, no, not yet. <laughs> Early. Don't bring him back yet because he's he needs to be a hundred percent healthy. Right? He comes back after the ACL and then then he's got an oblique injury that's kept him out. Probably because he wasn't quite ready for the speed yet. He wasn't quite ready for that. So I'll yep. toot our own horn, Pete. We we're right about that. <laughs> but they do need to get him back in the lineup. So yeah. um I you know, I, I'm loving I, I'd love to know from some of the longtime Twins fans out there and, and followers. Is, is there a team that's been more frustrating than this one? I, I mean, I'm just trying to think. I've been trying to rack my brain a number of the years. You know, I, I think about the year when Jim Tomey and Joe Maurer and Justin Morneau and they go to the Yankees and um, they end up – I remember standing in Yankee Stadium after they got run out of that ballpark thinking this team was poised for so much more than this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just that sick feeling probably because I hate Yankee Stadium. I also got food poisoning there, but that's another story for later. <laughs> fun story. It all adds up. Hey, by I'll the share way, it real quick, time.
3: I know we got to go to a break, but I will say yeah. this. Uh, one thing we haven't talked about in a while, and nobody is talking about it, and I think it's really interesting, is the speed of the games. Nobody's talking about it anymore, and it's yep. it's been great. It's been great success. Even the old-timers, a lot of old-timers who didn't like the idea of the pitch clock and everything else. These games are moving along, and that's been very, very beneficial, I think, for Major League Baseball this year.
0: Yeah, in fact, I'm glad you brought that up. We were talking about that with some friends of ours the other night, and and he said, Oh, man, I haven't watched a bunch of games this year. And my wife said, Well, you you should try because they're a lot quicker now, and they're a lot more manageable to to, to watch and and to understand. So Mm -hmm. I, I agree. That's a good call out. The games have been a lot more watchable. Uh, a lot more fun when they're not um, a blowout in terms of the other into the other way. Uh if you want to call and check us in on this one, let us know. Is this the most frustrating team in recent memory for the Twins? Cities one plumbing talk and text line 651-461-9226. We will get to your calls and texts throughout the show today. Quick reminder, we're out at 11:30 today as the Twins have an early one uh, out east. We will take a break and come back and talk about the Vikings. The preseason game, number one against Seattle. What do we see out of this? Matt Collar of Purple Insider will join us next. You're listening to The Huddle on 830 WCCO. (laughs) Welcome back to The Huddle. Vikings are 0-1 in the preseason. They lost to the Seattle Seahawks 24-13 on Thursday night. Well, let's just wave the white flag. It's (laughs) over. It's over. Uh, No, I kid. Uh, Matthew Collar is... The fantastic Vikings beat writer of mm-hmm. Purple Insider, and he joins us now on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline and president of the Buffalo Sabres fan club. Good morning, Matt.
4: <laughs> no, I agree with you. Fire everybody. I mean, you, you lose gone. that preseason game. You gotta, you gotta just move on. New regime time.
0: It's done. I, I, I mean, get rid of everybody. Scrap the whole thing, uh, Matt. I'm, I'm just curious. I. I, I watch some clips of the game. I do not watch every down of a preseason game because I just don't think it, it, it tells you a bunch. But is there anything definitively that you learned on Thursday night from watching that preseason game?
4: Well, I mean I think obviously there's a lot of jokes that I want to make right there, but um <laughs> Because it is the preseason and we need something to overreact to or we're just going to explode because we've been spending months and months and months just waiting for anything that looks like football. So when people dress up in the Vikings pajamas and run out there and do stuff, (laughs) we want to, like, analyze it. But, yeah, I always – you know, try not to overreact, but I would say that it was interesting that only one offensive lineman, who's a starter, was actually playing, and that was Ed Ingram. Yeah. And I, I tend to think that with preseason, um, a lot of times it's who's playing and when that we get a lot more out of than actually like how anyone plays or what the result is. And I thought that that was pretty notable. I mean, uh, Kevin O'Connell said yesterday that it's basically just because Ed Ingram is still young and, you know, he doesn't have as many reps as the other guys. But, I mean, we could also use our common sense here. This It's not just youth. It was also not playing well last year, especially in pass protection. And, I mean, you've got to think from what they've seen in practice that they're nervous that's going to happen again because we all watched the season and then all of America watched, you know, the quarterback documentary and saw Kirk Getting slammed over and over and over into the turf, and and we know who was responsible for that. It was the interior of the offensive line. So they didn't make any changes to that offensive line, and now they're playing their starter. I mean, you're kind of going, all right? Are they not really pleased? They you know they bring in uh, a veteran Dalton Reisner for a visit as well. Again, you kind of scratch your head a little. Like, are they thinking about? a late summer replacement, which also kind of makes you nervous that we're this far into it. And we're talking about that potential. Um, I also think that it's, you know, notable that they brought in Kareem hunt, uh, you know, for a visit as well, even though Ty Chandler played well, but Kevin O'Connell seems very hesitant to say that like, he loves Ty Chandler. So, you know, things like that are kind of takeaways. And I also thought, you know, Jordan Addison, it was only two catches. Well, one of them was ruled not a catch, but we thought it was a catch. It was Uh, definitely a catch. Yeah, it was. But that's what we've been seeing in practice every day. It's really good. I mean, the thing is, he's just been really, really good in practice, and I think that they've got themselves a wide receiver there.
3: Matthew, uh, you kind of led me into this one because I'm uh, watching the quarterback and knowing that Kirk gets hit on every single play virtually, and it had 46 sacks last year, um, but I'm going a different direction. I'm looking at Christian Darrisaw Last year, all we heard through camp was, this is the best tackle in football. Oh, my goodness, he's the greatest thing ever. What What do you think about him this year, and what has he looked like on the practice field? How How has he progressed?
4: I think that Derrissaw has looked great. I mean, he is a guy I think that cares a lot. Um, and, and, you know, of course, I think all NFL players, if you reach this level, you care about football. But, I mean, the dedication that he put into the first off season that he had last year to become a better watcher of tape, a better technician, be in better shape, and then to come in and on a daily basis prove it last year. And I thought it was a huge moment for him. We've got, you know, later this week, the joint practices last year for him to go up against Nick Bosa for two days in a row of, of like hard practices and one-on-ones and I think proved to himself that he could do it, right? He was not overwhelmed in those practices, and this year it's just been more of the same. Now, he's not going up against Deniel Hunter very often in practice, if ever. It's mostly like DJ Wanham, Marcus Davenport, so these are not. I and mean, Davenport, I think, has been pretty decent in practice, but, I mean, this is not like a Nick Bosa caliber, but he's pretty dominant. I mean, I think that they've got their franchise left tackle for a long time, as long as he stays healthy, and next offseason, we're going to be talking about the Christian Derisaw contract extension um, instead of the ones we don't have yet with Justin Jefferson and T.J. Hawkinson.
0: Well, let's start there. Matthew Collar joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. I feel like we're talking about this every single week. Uh, what's the holdup? I mean, Justin Jefferson, he, clearly they, he's the guy of the future, and we've talked about Kirk Cousins as well. Are we any closer this week, uh, say, than we were last Sunday when we talked about it?
4: Yeah, it's hard to know because I mean, even with Daniil Hunter's situation, it just sort of happened, right? Like we didn't know that it was gonna happen. I just woke up and looked at my phone and Adam Schefter was saying there was a contract. Like, okay, um that kinda came out of nowhere. Uh they usually don't tell us, Hey guys, we're getting close. Just uh prepare your phone alerts. Um but you know, I they I think don't was very <laughs> Yeah, they, they should. I know that would make my life easier. But, um, you know, the other day when Mark Wilf talked, he made it very clear that he is involved, for one, in this J.J. contract extension and that they want nothing more than Justin Jefferson to sign an extension. And, you know, well, well it is clear that he's going to be the richest wide receiver in the NFL, and he deserves that, and that's what the Vikings should do. It is complicated on other levels. How much is guaranteed? How much is guaranteed for injury? Uh, how, how what is the length of the contract? I think is a very interesting discussion because Joel Corey of CBS, the former agent, wrote an article saying that you know Justin Jefferson could go for a shorter term contract and look for a three year extension that kind of takes him past the fifth year option and past the, the franchise tags, and then try to kind of hit the lottery twice, but. Uh, You know, if you're the Vikings, you don't want a short-term extension. You want to sign him through as long as you possibly can. So he's your franchise receiver for for a long time. And if you sign a longer extension, it gives you more flexibility as the general manager um, to restructure, to move money around, and things like that. So I I think that that's probably, uh, you know, where the holdup is. I wouldn't be surprised if it takes all the way through camp. But if we get through camp and start the season without an extension, then everybody's going to be a little bit nervous, I think.
3: Matthew, I got another one for you on the defensive side of the ball that I, I, I'm really curious about because I know we got a lot of fanfare about who we signed and all these different free agents, but um, I, I'm just curious what you've seen on the field itself with Marcus Davenport and Dean Lowry. We already had Harrison Phillips, of course, but what are you seeing on the defensive line? Are you impressed? I know, I know we obviously got the contract done with Hunter, and I think he's uh, as good as anybody in football, but how about these other three or, or anybody else that stands out for you?
4: Yeah, totally agree on Daniel Hunter you know, getting him signed. Uh, uh, Brian Flores, who doesn't smile that often, he's a very serious guy, was uh, actually smiling that day when they announced the extension. Um, you know, Marcus Davenport is interesting because he's a guy that uh, the underlying numbers have always liked, that he has pressured the quarterback a lot, even when he hasn't gotten sacked. And look, the sacks are going to make you money. Those are going to change games, and you need to, you know, you need to get sacks if you're going to be a great edge rusher. But I think what Doppelmensa did was take a bet here that last year was more unlucky than bad because the year before he had nine sacks. And I think what I've seen so far is a guy who is, first of all, enormous. I mean, he is uh, the probably the biggest edge rusher they've had because Everson Griffin was a little more, a uh, little shorter in comparison, a little stockier. Um, so he's tall, lanky, extremely, extremely quick for a guy that big. And that's what made him a first-round pick. Like you can see the physical skills. And they've been pressuring the quarterback a good amount I mean, as, as a defense. And one of the things that I've noticed that Brian Flores is doing is he's moving Davenport inside on like those third-down type of drills, which I, I don't think he did very often in New Orleans. It's kind of an interesting little twist to use his size to their advantage, And and I think that that's what Brian Flores is going to be really good at for a lot of players, not just Marcus Davenport. Uh, They're moving Dean Lowry kind of back to where he was two years ago on the defensive line, kind of that, um, you know, that over like that 3-4 defensive end type of position, more than like closer to the center. So that's kind of interesting as well. I I think that's what Flores does. I think that's what makes him such a great defensive coordinator, and it's going to work for a lot of guys, not just those veterans, um, but also younger players like Josh Metellus, who – seems to have a big role in this defense. So I think that some of the bets that they made on players like Davenport, Byron Murphy have a better chance of working out because of who is calling the plays on defense.
0: Matthew Collar, purple insider joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell banker hotline. Matthew, I have one last one for you uh, that I want to, I, I'm curious your insight here. I did watch uh, pretty closely uh, a little bit of Lewis scene the other night, not super impressed. Um, is it, is it rust, or is this guy just not where he needs to be? What have you seen on the practice field from Lewisine?
4: Yeah, uh, that's exactly the conversation that we were having uh, a couple of reporters and I on the sideline yesterday about Lewisine because I thought that he looked very, very hesitant coming downhill to make tackles. Um, he made one play early in the game where he tackled uh, Jackson Smith, the Jigbo, was so a nice looking play, but especially in the run game. There was no violence to be spoken of. And, it, okay, is that because he missed so much time because he had a very serious injury? Oh. It's always this kind of like, I don't know how to put it. Maybe there's a basketball comparison here of like when someone gets the ball and just makes a play in basketball or gets mm-hmm. the ball and looks around. You know, I mean, uh, you, you got you got kids, Dave, and in their leagues, you probably see the the little kids catch the ball and kind of look around like, what do I do with it? Uh, that's kind of Louisine. It's like, what do I do? What do I do with it? And that, no. that little bit of hesitation, that hesitation in college, when you run a four three seven, you can make up for that. Not in the NFL because everybody else is just as fast as you. And And that's just always been there going back to last year. And I don't know how – you shake that or how you make that different. And that's the difference between him and Cam Bynum or him and Josh Metellus. And I don't expect anything to change on this depth chart from where it was last year. I think that Metellus and Bynum are going to be ahead of him. And, uh, you know, we're just going to see where it goes from there.
0: That's a tough one because he was a very high draft pick a year ago. So, Uh, Matthew, thanks so much, buddy. Always good to hear from you. And um, go Sabres. Well, not go Sabres, but we'll (laughs) talk about the Sabres next time. I promise.
3: Thanks, Matthew. (laughs) Sounds good.
0: Thanks, guys. (laughs) I'm just trying to bring him back. Just make sure we get him back one more time. Uh, We'll take a quick break here, and we'll do the fast break. Coming up next, you're listening to Huddle on 830 WCCO. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy.
4: Let's hit this segment running and gunning. Time for a fast back and forth with Pete and Dave. We're calling Fast Break on the Huddle.
5: And Josh. Ta-da. Yeah, me. So special. <laughs> so special. Yeah, because We love you, man. Once once, they, once Dave added Josh, people really turned their radio dials you, Did you the see TV the spike
0: down. in the ratings? It just, I'm actually
5: looking it at simple. it right now. It was brief, but now it's gone. Real um, <laughs> time. Yeah. We're going to start off with uh, the first one here. Since I don't have any fancy music, we're just going to kind of go a la carte here. Um, First question I have for you. We'll start with you, Pete. Uh Uh, NFL with Bryce Young, Max Duggan, behind Justin Herbert, of course. I'm interested to see how uh, the new OC, Kellen Moore, uh, deals with that quarterback situation. Also, Stetson Bennett and Anthony Richardson all getting their preseason debuts out of the way. Pete, out of these, which do you look forward to most seeing this season?
3: Well, you know, I think it's kind of interesting. Some of the names that are out there, will they actually be on the field? And and, and one of the names that uh, that stands out for me is Stetson Bennett, because here's a guy who got absolutely no credit for anything, it seems to me, um, who's getting an opportunity. He won't be on the field unless somebody's hurt. But if he gets on the field, I actually think this guy is mature enough. He's, he's old enough for sure, but he's mature enough to be somebody who could be extremely productive. And and you don't, I don't see that out of a lot of second-string quarterbacks in the NFL, but I do from him. And I think that what we saw a little bit of this past weekend already is uh, he's, he's still poised, and I know he's going against twos and everything else, but he stands out for me as probably somebody who should have been drafted maybe a little bit higher than he was.
0: Dave? Agreed. Yeah, well, tell me the names again one more time.
5: Uh, so, yeah, Stetson Bennett, uh, Richardson, and I believe it was – am got to pull it up it here. It was Bryce Young. Yeah, Bryce Young, Bryce Max Young. Duggan, Stetson Bennett, and Anthony Richardson.
0: I'm excited to see Anthony Richardson. I, I just – I think um, in, in that offense, in a dome, I'm I'm just – I'm really – I really liked him, Pete. You and I were both really high on him uh, coming out of the draft last year. We both thought he was one of the – I actually thought he was the best of, of who was there. Um, so – I'm excited to see him. I don't. I think Bryce Young is going to have a tough go of things in Carolina. That that team is just. It, it's a little bit. I just don't see like he's. Just, I don't feel like he's set up for as much success. Although he does have Adam Thielen to throw to, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm I'm really excited to see what Richardson does in in Indy.
5: All right, and uh, Dave, you sent me this on Twitter from Projection yes. Sports: If college oh. football adopted a promotion relegation system, uh, relegation games would draw. So many viewers, well, looking at it right now, this kind of looks interesting. It basically starts out with, uh, it, it's kind of a, a ladder-type uh, system, if you will. 12-team uh, playoff for a few of these, top four being promoted pretty much up to the next branch uh, as yes. far as the playoff system goes. It's kind of complex, but it's definitely uh, it definitely includes a lot of pretty key arguments as far as teams that should be involved in the quote-unquote uh, championship conversation. Uh, Dave, we'll start with you. Kind of, what are your thoughts on, you know, NCAA kind of changing things up a little bit with the playoff system?
0: Well, it gets rid of some of these ridiculous conferences. You know, it gets rid of these 20 team conferences and this, that, and the other thing. And I'm not a huge soccer fan, but when I watch this, and, and if you want to, uh, when I saw this, if you want to look at this, uh, follow, it's on, it's projection sports at PROJ sports. And they have this relegation system. Basically, you have, The top 16 teams, which is pretty much most of the SEC, uh, and then you kind of work your way down, and they take this data over four or five years, and then teams would move up and down based on that, uh, relegating to either the Premier League Division, Championship Division, League One, League Two, and then then the rest. Uh, It's interesting to me. I think this is an interesting concept because it truly allows anybody – if they are good enough to, to to move up all the way through. And I, I think in its current state, the NCAA doesn't necessarily – and Pete, we've had this discussion before where yeah. it doesn't necessarily – you could have a great season and still not even get anywhere sniffing near uh, a championship. You could have a couple of good seasons and not do that. So I think it's interesting. I, I – I would, you know, it's going to keep the top at the top still if we did it that way. Which, the, you know, Alabama is always going to be in the premier division. Uh, you know, some of these other schools are always going to be in the championship. Maybe moving up and down in Iowa or Oklahoma, but like a, like a Illinois. You know, Illinois over the last year could certainly jump up, and they they had a couple of good seasons. You know, well, well, at least one here with with Bielma. So I think it's interesting. I don't know. I don't think it would actually work in college sports because you don't have enough time you know, these guys are, you know, you have these guys for one or two years and then they're gone, but I think it's interesting to see uh, what it would look like. Pete.
3: Yeah. I find it really curious. Um, I don't know that I like it, love it or, or anything, but it's interesting for sure. And I think it's great fodder. I mean, it's something we can all kind of kick around a little bit, but you know, there are so many things that I think that they've got to fix in college football, college sports, um, the whole NIL thing still bothers me. The portal still bothers me to some degree. Yep. Uh, I think there are ways that we could make these things a lot better, and I, and it feels to me like they don't want to make any decisions. They just want to kind of see what happens, <laughs> and 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 I'd like to see them make some decisions and actually, you know, change things up a little bit because we can already see some of the pitfalls of what they're doing. But uh, this is pretty. Interesting. It, it really is. And unfortunately, when you do look at that top premier group, though, uh, it's it, it's it's about the haves and the have-nots. All you've got to do is look at the list of those that are in certain, certain divisions right now. And it's like, well, that's a school that has great NIL money. They have yep. great uh, attraction for players to be able to want to go to those schools. So is it going to be very easy at all for any of these other schools to be able to Pull themselves up like this. I, I I think it. I think it's interesting. I just don't know that I think it works.
0: You'd have to do it on like a, a one to two year rotation. I think. Yeah. I don't think it can be like four years because it's just that that's that's not feasible. Rosters change over so much. Schools change over so much. But I think on a one to two year um, one to two year rotation would be interesting. Now the other side of this is that you're not going to have. You might not have 35 bowl games anymore, which. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money uh, for a lot of these schools. So maybe that's something that that's also something that would factor into it, I think.
5: For right, sure. Real quick, one last thing. Dave, we'll stick with you since you're the uh, hockey god oh, of okay. WCCO. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. W- with <laughs> with Matt <laughs> Dumbo quite... leaving the right hand side of Jonas Brodeen, do you feel that Kaelin Addison is the right guy to fill that role, or do you see if maybe Brock Favor would be a better? Suit for that role. I know uh, Jonas Brodin is probably, arguably, in my opinion, one of the better defensive defensemen yeah. in hockey. And uh, what he does for the team doesn't always reflect on the scorecard. So I guess your thoughts on maybe who Matt Dumba's suitable replacement would be on the uh, right hand side.
0: Well, this is an easy one for me, and I, I love the way Brock Faber played last year. I, I thought the fact that he jumped right in uh, and and that the game, you know, he didn't he didn't necessarily. I don't think he scored any goals last year, which is which is fine. I'm not of the defensive school of thought that defensemen have to score. I think, you know, that the plus minus is really where you see how good a defenseman is. I thought the game looked the right speed for him. He didn't look uh, overwhelmed out there. He was able to use his size. He was able to use his speed. Uh, he played angles very well. It didn't look too big for him. I, and I think the amount of time he got in the postseason also tells you just what the coaching staff thought of him. So I, uh, to me, that's a no-brainer. I think Brock Faber steps right in. I don't know uh, what Kalen Addison's future is. I, he certainly didn't seem to me like uh, he was a huge part of the D defensive core near the end of the season. Uh, so I would say it's it's Faber's spot all the way.
3: Whatever Dave said is right. And I... <laughs> I I don't want to even pretend I I'm as, as schooled on on hockey, especially at the NHL level and with the Wild and everything. But uh, whatever you said, Dave is is 100 correct. But by the you way, made the, a Golden Gopher. By the way, yes. <laughs>
0: and you made the point last year, Pete, because I remember it saying that there there's no matter the sport, you there's a there's a usually an adjustment period, and Brock didn't seem to have that, right. which I thought was you know it, it, just to step in like that. And you've said this before. it's... That transition, regardless of how good you are, or school or sport, that's a tough transition to go from being a pro, a college guy, to a pro.
4: Absolutely, absolutely.
5: Well, and also to add to kind of the playoff run that we had with these two defensemen, Kale Madison was more, of, more or less, of a defensive liability. I feel like uh, yeah. where Brock Faber, if you remember, uh, the very first game blocked a what was basically a sure uh, overtime goal by Dallas, and that yep. would eventually lead to Ryan Hartman, uh, you know, finishing the job for the Wild, but. I definitely feel like Brock Faber would better suit that role as a defenseman, both as a two-way player for this team. So uh, that's all I got for the fast breaks for today.
3: Cool.
5: Anything else to add, Dude, or we we might have lost Dave. <laughs> we might have lost Dave. Yeah. Oh my gosh! All right, well, well I we think we get... got to go to break
3: anyway, right? No, there he is. There he is. <laughs> okay.
0: All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. I'll figure out what's going on. <laughs> I am not a Nirvana guy. I just never have been.
3: I guess I wasn't like that. I wasn't, but I kind of grew to like him a little bit. I've
5: never, is it because because Nirvana made you put all your black spandex away?
0: (laughs) 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 That's a loaded question for another time.
3: That's a good visual. (laughs) Gosh, no,
0: never before has radio uh, been better. No television. Uh, Pete, you were talking about this a little bit in the break. Um, as we uh, get into high school football season, excuse me, the college football, college and high school, Ole Miss quarterback, uh, quarterback uh, Austin Simmons.
3: Yeah. He's 17. Is that right? He's 17. He is kind of the Shohei Otani of of baseball or of baseball and football. He's got two sports, but it's his academics on top of everything else, Dave, that stands out. I, I you know, you don't come across kids like this very often if ever i mean and i mean if ever so i started reading more and more about this kid and yeah. it's just amazing austin simmons is 17 years old he's 6 190 pounds they already have a load of great quarterbacks lane kiffin's done a great job of recruiting down at old miss the entire sec virtually offered this kid uh full rides and he's a sophomore <laughs> in in high school, yeah. he already has his associate's degree. He's working on his bachelor's degree. He's got you know, like I say, scholarships from everywhere. How about this though? On a scale of four as as the peak for your academics, he has a five point three grade point average. I was just looking at that.
0: <laughs> How do you get a five
3: point three on a four scale? Granted, I think I think what I happens even is stiff
0: four 0, which <laughs> well, is probably why I didn't know this. <laughs>
3: Well, what happens is um, when you start taking extra higher-level classes, they count for more. Okay. Um, and so it just shows you a little bit about this kid. And, and last year, he threw for 3,100 yards, 24 touchdowns, nine interceptions. He also can throw the the ball as a pitcher at 94 miles an hour. So Incredible. when you look at everything he's already accomplished, you don't worry about this kid from uh, this the perspective of discipline. He's got it. And the reason yeah. he's done this academically, Dave, is he started in sixth grade. He said to his dad, he goes, look, this is what I want to do. And his mom and dad said, sure, let's, let's do it. Seven days a week, including summers, he has been academically active. And then he gets on the sports side of things and he's getting a little bit bigger and he suddenly grew a little bit more and... I'll tell you what; it's just uh, I think it's worth highlighting because we always hear all the bad stories, all the guys who did this, that, and the other. And yeah. what this kid is doing is uh, unheard of. Number one, especially just just on sports, but yeah. when you add the academic side to it, it's absolutely extraordinary. So I, you know, I I just think it's something that we we should always try to highlight because maybe maybe more people will try to be like Austin. In, in well, good future. for him.
0: I, I yeah. mean, it it sounds like he. He's a little farther down in the depth chart, which is, you know. Not, oh, he's not, at the
3: bottom. Listen, he's 17
0: <laughs> years old. I mean, yeah. could you imagine going up against, you know, these grown kids of college football yep. uh, at 17? But, wow, what an incredible story he is. And he could do uh, do both and, and, you know, the 5.3 with a 5.3 GPA. Uh, I think it's hilarious that you knew exactly how to get a 5.3, and I had no idea. <laughs> Uh, Which goes to tell you which one of us was close to that and which one of us was was not even close to that.
3: Um, (laughs) Go go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, I I wanted to give you a quick fun stat before we have to go. So uh, Justin Herbert, okay, he's 25 years old. His birthday is in March, and he's in his fourth year in the NFL. Nothing surprising there. How about Stetson Bennett? He's 25 years old. He's actually older than him. <laughs> he's got two national titles, but he's a rookie. <laughs> yeah. So you and I were just talking about Bennett just a minute ago, and I was thinking about that, and I just had to bring that up to you because it's just extraordinary. <laughs> <Yeah. I> mean, <laughs> it is interesting you too,
0: that. you know. And you, you also just never know how kids are going to translate to the NFL. We, we, I started. I have not finished it. We started last night uh, the Johnny Manziel documentary oh, on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible, and it's interesting because I walked away from it. You know, we we haven't finished it yet, but I, you know we kind of got to the part where he gets in a lot of academic trouble uh, for signing autographs, and then you know you fast forward five or six years later, and now what he was doing by today's standards would be perfectly acceptable for the most right. part, uh, <laughs> you know, with the nil money, which which kind of leads into what we're going to talk about next segment: the the whole idea of the dead period and Jim Harbaugh uh, mm-hmm. getting in some trouble for that, and what the NCAA is doing, and why I really think that. Uh, It might be time to change some of those rules, Pete, uh, because I think they're probably going to change anyway. So we'll talk about that around the corner, take a quick break, and um, we'll talk more college
2: football coming up next. Listen to The Huddle
0: on 830
2: WCCO. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours